those of you who maybe slipped in a little late, um, that was Andrew uh, Talby. It's the first time he's led worship for us, so I'd encourage you after the service to express your appreciation to him. I'm trying to get all my stuff in order. A couple of announcements and then we'll uh, jump in. Uh, tonight is Face Down. That's our monthly time where we gather with Riverstone. That's our parent church uh, for a couple of hours of prayer and worship. It's from 6 to 8. If you can come for any part of that, it'd be great. We're focusing on, tonight we're focusing on the walls that keep people from coming to know the Lord. So if that's something that's in your heart, you want to see people in our community, maybe in your family, workplace, whatever, coming to know the Lord, we're going to pray about the walls. And I hear there might be a sledgehammer involved. So if that piques your curiosity, and you might get to swing it. So if that piques your curiosity at all, uh, do that. Uh, January 7th, that's this Wednesday from 6 to 8, there'll be an open practice uh, with the Stonebridge worship team. If you're interested in coming and playing with those guys, uh, Kim, see Kim, and she can get you the details, she can get you the music and all that. It's not a tryout or an audition, it's just a chance to, uh, for folks who love music and want to be a part to come and be a part. Next Sunday... Uh, we'll start the Alpha Marriage Course. It's from 5 to 7 here. Um, cost is $30. If that's an obstacle, don't worry about it. But that covers books and um, child care and some food. Every night will be from 5 to 7 for about 8 weeks. It's really a good course. I would say if you're married, you need to do what you can to make it. So that's, there's a sign-up sheet outside for that. And then on January 13th, that's a Tuesday, from 6 to 8 here. If you consider Stonebridge your home church, I'd encourage you to come. We're going to have a dinner and kind of a family meeting. There's some stuff I want to share with y'all um, about 2009, some stuff that's coming up in the next few months. And if Stonebridge is our home church, or you think it will be, these things will affect you. So I'd encourage you to come to that. There's a sign-up sheet outside for that as well. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and I don't want you to give me your Sunday school kind of answer. You don't have to say anything out loud, but just in your mind, I want you to be honest with your mind. And Answer this question. Don't give me what you think the right answer should be. I want you to tell me, in your mind, the last time you were amazed by God. I want you to think about the last time you were amazed by God. We're going to come back to that. A few years ago, a guy named Henry Cloud wrote a book called Integrity. You might have heard of Henry Cloud. He's got a radio program. He's written a bunch of books. Boundaries, or those are some of his popular books on how to have healthy relationships. He wrote this book called Integrity, and it was good. And kind of the premise of the book was that integrity is a key to success. But the thing from the book that I really took away was in the first couple of chapters, he talked about a person's wake. If you've ever seen a boat, you know, a boat leaves a wake. And what he was saying was a person leaves a wake. Everywhere a person goes, just like everywhere a boat goes, there's a wake left behind them. And the wake has two elements. There's a task element, and there's a relationship element. And if you want to know what kind of person you are, you just look at your wake. You turn around and you look and you see, well, what's behind me? So if you, you, know, if you work in a business and you've got three performance reviews and every one of them was good, well, that's your task wake and it, you're doing a good job. If you've lost money since January, you've lost money every month, well, maybe you're not doing so good on that. You can look at your relationships as well. Do you have a trail of broken bodies and hurt feelings and people who won't talk to you anymore? Is that what's behind you or is it people who are encouraged and blessed and better because you were in relationship with them. You get that. If you're a kind of a take stock kind of person, it was the end of 2008, beginning of 2009, how did I do? This idea of awake is pretty good because it's relatively objective. It's not necessarily, well, how did you feel you did? It's turn around and look and see what's behind you. And then you can know 
how you did. So anyway, there was this idea of awake, and what Henry Cloud is saying is everybody leaves one. You can't not leave awake. It means you weren't there if you didn't leave awake. Awake is evidence of what you did when you were encountering people or when you were in a certain place. And I was thinking about Jesus, and he was a person, and he left awake as well. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John especially, and Acts as well, you can see this wake that Jesus left. Everywhere he went, everyone he encountered, there was evidence of that. There was fruit. There was results. There was people knew. Nobody walked out of their door one day and said, I wonder if Jesus was here today. They knew. There was results in both on the task side and the relationship side. With Jesus, those things were really married closely to one another. This is from Mark, the shortest gospel. I just did a quick scan. Here's some of the things that Jesus did. He drove an evil spirit out of a man in the synagogue. He healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. He healed all the sick and demon-possessed who came to him from Capernaum. He healed a man with leprosy. He healed a paralytic. He healed a man with a withered hand. He healed so many people that he had to teach in a boat because the sick were pressing in to touch him. He calmed a raging storm. He healed a demon-possessed man living in a graveyard. He raised a 12-year-old girl from the dead. He healed a woman who'd been hemorrhaging for 12 years. He fed 5,000 men with five loaves of bread and two fish. He walked on water. He drove an evil spirit out of a little girl. He fed 4,000 men with seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. He healed a blind man at Bethsaida. He healed a boy who was possessed by an evil spirit. And he healed a blind man named Bartimaeus. That's the wake where Jesus went. That's what he did. We talked uh, back in the fall about the Sermon on the Mount. Most people would say, that's it. You want a guide for life. Read Matthew 5 through 7. There's nothing better. There's no higher, more refined ethical teaching than what you read in the Sermon on the Mount. That's his wake. We have all these parables about the kingdom of God, who God is, and how we relate to him. Jesus left all of those things. Those are the things that he left in his wake. And the people, even more amazing. John 4, the woman at the well. She'd been married four times. She was living with a guy who wasn't her husband. She was so ostracized from her community, she couldn't even go get water when everybody else did. She had to go in the heat of the day. Everybody... All the other women went in the morning because she was so cut off from her community. Jesus made all that right. John 8, the woman caught, caught in adultery. She literally was about to be stoned to death. Jesus steps in, saves her life, literally saves her life. This demoniac in Luke 8, so messed up, he's living in a graveyard. Jesus is done with him. It says he's clothed in, in his right mind. This weight behind Jesus people and stuff that he leaves. There's the evidence of what he's done. And if you read through, again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John particularly, what you'll notice, the word amazed or amazement comes up repeatedly. There's about seven words in the New Testament that you can understand as amazed. And those seven words occur a total of 87 times. Sixty of those occurrences are in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Three-fourths of the time in the New Testament that you see this concept of amazement, it happens in the Gospels. Because Jesus is amazing. And that's the reaction he provoked in people. Everywhere he went, he provoked amazement. And it really didn't matter who the people were. He amazed people when he was 12. You can read that in Luke chapter 2. He amazed them right before he was going to be crucified. He amazed them throughout his life, any and every situation. He amazed people. Here are just a few Bible verses. Luke 5.26, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. Jews were amazed, even people who didn't get who Jesus was. John 7, 15, the Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without those having studied? Those who knew him well were amazed. Matthew 13, 54 says, Jesus came to his hometown. He began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. The disciples, he spent 
24-7 with them for, for three years. He amazed them. Matthew 8:27. the disciples were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? His enemies were amazed. In Mark 12, there are these, several of these stories where the religious leaders are trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to get him to say something they can use against him to have him arrested. And they come at him with, you know, do we need to pay taxes? And he comes back with, give to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. And then the Bible says, and they were amazed at him. Everybody. It didn't matter if you loved him or you hated him, you just knew him, you'd known him for a long time. Everybody was amazed. At Jesus. That was his, his wake. The evidence that he had been around was people's mouths were on the floor. And they were amazed. They were amazed at what he did. They were amazed at what he said. They were amazed at who he was. Pilate, right before he hands over Jesus over to be crucified, says, are you going to say anything on your own behalf? Jesus is silent. says, Pilate was amazed. He's amazed at the character of a man who can withstand all of these false accusations and never say anything in defense. The Bible says people were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at the miracles that he did. And the thing for us, I was thinking about, the Bible also says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he was amazing then, and he's the same now, that would make him amazing. So how come we're not amazed? How come most of us, when I ask you, when was the last time you were amazed by God, you're going way back. You're trying to come up with something just in case I call on you. You've got something to write down. It's not a criticism. It's just reality. Most of us are not amazed by God on a regular basis. And I was wondering why that is. If he's the same, if his teaching is amazing and we've got it, if his miracles were amazing and he said when he went to heaven that we would do greater things than him, so we've got that. If his character is amazing and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then how come we're not amazed? If a couple came to me and said, a married couple, and said, you know, we're really not happy. Can you help us? And we talked. The last thing I would do is say, well, you need to go home and work on being happy. Just make it happen. Happiness is an emotion. It's a byproduct of a healthy relationship. If we focused on that, it's, it's not going to work. It does reveal that maybe there's something in the relationship that's not right, and so let's figure out what that is, and let's work on that, and then happiness will come about. The same is true with amazement. It's a spontaneous reaction to something. You're, we're never commanded to be amazed. God commands us to love him. He commands us to obey him. He commands us to honor him. He commands us to serve him. He never commands us to be amazed at him. Nobody's going to hell because they're not amazed at the Lord. That's not how it works. It's a spontaneous reaction. It's gut level initial response to something. And you can't work it up. You can't go home this week and say, I'm going to be amazed. And then just wait. It doesn't, it's not going to, it doesn't work. You know how that is. You know the things that are amazing to you. And you can't make it happen. It's just that's your response to whatever these things are. So the point today is not to say we need to figure out how to be amazed and we need to, here, here's the technique. There's not one. Again, it's this spontaneous response to events. My point is if Jesus is the same as he was, in the New Testament, if he's the same guy and he does the same stuff, and I think you make a pretty strong case that that is the case, then how come we're not amazed more often? That was his wake. Everyone he met was amazed, so why not us? And that's a little bit of what I want to talk about this morning. Um, a couple of things. Hold on, my papers are out of order again. Let me give you a couple of reasons why I think we're not amazed. One reason I think is because we don't pay attention. We talked about this um, past couple of weeks. We talked about Psalm 126.3 a few weeks ago. 
the Lord has done great things for me, and we are filled with joy. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. And we said, we miss it because when we hear great things, we think miracles. And a lot of what God does is just regular stuff. And so we miss a lot of his activity in our life because it doesn't seem that great. So we're not necessarily filled with joy. I say the same thing comes with being amazed. We miss what God has done because it's just regular. It's normal stuff. It's not, nobody's running a front page story about it. Last week we talked about the importance of waiting and we've got to wait for the Lord to work. And one of the things we said is as we're waiting, we need to have expectations that God will move, but those expectations need to be flexible because the package might look different than we thought it would. The wrapping paper might be different than we thought it would be. And that's kind of the same thing. We miss things because we're not paying attention, either because we don't think it's that great or because we're looking for it to come this way and it comes this way. It's, we're just not dialed in. I think for most of us, though, the reason we're not paying attention is honestly because we're too busy. We live in a very uh, fast-paced culture, at least full of stuff, and it's hard to be amazed. If I, when did you have time? Most of you were off last week. Did you still have, did you have time on your day off to be amazed by God? When? When do you fit that in, in the middle of all the other things that you've got going on? And that's where a lot of us live. We're, just, we're not paying attention either because we're not paying attention or because we're so busy we can't pay attention. There's so many other things fighting for our focus. And so we're not amazed because we're not paying attention. But the fix for that's easy. You just ask God to give you eyes to see what he's doing. And for some of you, that's all you need to do. You just need to pray that simple prayer. God, give me eyes to see what you're doing in my life. And you need to pray that today, and then you need to pray it tomorrow, and then you need to pray it on Tuesday and Wednesday, and eventually, you'll have eyes to see what he's doing in your life. And it'll open up a whole new world for you of opportunities to be amazed because you'll actually see what he's doing instead of missing it all the time. It'll change your life, actually, if you begin to do that. So for, for a lot of you, that's it. That's all you've got to do is pray that prayer that he'll give you eyes to see what he's doing, and then he will change your life. Some of us, the reason we're not amazed is because we, we, we know God too well. At least that's what we think. For most of you, when you think about the things that amaze you, you're probably thinking of first-time experiences, stuff that's new and different. Those are the kind of things that tend to bring out this spontaneous reaction of amazement. It's new stuff. Six Flags, when they do roller coasters, they usually don't come out with one that's worse than the other ones they've got. It's better in some way. It's faster. It's more loops. You're upside down for a longer time. The seat belt is looser. There's something about it that makes us, it makes it pop. It's more in some way. And so that's what they have to do. They have to keep upping the ante because we get bored. I've done that. I've done the mind bender since I was 12. You got anything else? Screen machine. I need, you know, we need something else. You've got to keep raising the bar if you're going to amaze us. The fireworks have to be bigger this year than they were last year. They can't be smaller. You, you hear, that's kind of the culture that we live in. And so with God, some of you have been Christians for a really long time. And you kind of feel like you've tapped him out. Like, you know this. You've read it. You, you know what it's going to say. You already know what's going to happen at the end of every, of every story. There's nothing in here that's surprising to you. You know what the sermons are going to be about. You know the next verse to the song. You know it. You know, all, you know it. You've, ex, you've got experiences, catalogs. What else is there? And that's how maybe you treat, and not consciously, but that's kind of where you are. And it's not that we get cynical, but we just kind of get bored or 
jaded, where there's like there's nothing. The guy from Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. What do you got, God? How are you? What are you going to do this year that's bigger than what you did last year? What? How is this going to be any different when I read it next time than when I read it last time? We just we get overly familiar with Him, and so that causes us to lose the capacity to be amazed because we're kind of bored. We, we know it. I've, I've ridden that ride before. It's not that thrilling anymore. I know what's coming. I know when the turns are. I know how I'm going to feel on the first big hill. I've got it. But it's wrong. With God, if you're not amazed by him, it's not because you know him too well. It's because you don't know him well enough. The thing with God is he's infinite. And we can't get that because we're finite. And so you don't you can't. I can't. Nobody can He's limitless. His ability to amaze us is never tapped out. Lamentations 3 says his mercies are new every morning. And what we hear is, really, every morning? Every single morning? Yeah, every morning. Everything we know has a limit. Six Flags, the rides can only get so good before they break the law. Like, they're pushing the limit of what OSHA will allow. There's a boundary. Everything we know, there's a boundary. Except with God, there isn't a boundary. And we can't fathom that. And that's okay that we can't. We just have to trust that that's true. And so with God, there's, there's always more. I don't care how well you know Him. You don't know Him thoroughly. If for, you're finite, He's infinite. You can't get all of Him into you. He's too big for that. You can't know Him through and through. It's impossible. There's always more. But that's hard for us to get because he's the only one that is that way. Everything else, there's a limit. And then we get bored and at some point you can't wow me anymore and God's not that way. There's always more to him. There's always a new dimension. There's always a new level. Some of you who are married, maybe you've talked to people who have been married longer than you. Some of like 40 years and 45 years and they're like, we're more in love today than we were the day. And you're thinking, what? How? Aren't you tired of each other? There's something about that, though. Just because you know someone well doesn't mean that you know them fully, thoroughly. Some of you, when you think about heaven, you're thinking, seriously, forever? Is there a time limit for me? I'm going to be bored after 10 years. How long can I sing the same song before it's time? We don't get the infiniteness of God. That we never exhaust who He is. There's always more. And so the solution, if that's you, if you're bored... And this might sound a little counterintuitive. It's to spend more time, not to spend less. It doesn't become fresher if you take a break, like some other things do. Well, I'm just going to put this down for a while, and then when I come back in a few months, it'll be new. Maybe you, I haven't seen this movie in a long time, so it's going to excite me again. It's not how it works with God. If you're bored, you need to spend more time, not less time. Because, again, the problem, if you're not amazed, is not that you know him too well. It's that you don't know him well enough, and the only solution to that is to spend more time. That's the second thing. The third thing, and I think this probably hits more of us than those first two, is the reason we're not amazed, or we're not amazable, if I can make up a word, is because we're afraid. The same part of your heart that allows you to be amazed by God also allows you to be disappointed. It's two sides of the same coin. Proverbs 13.12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, and at some point, that gets old. We're tired of going back to the well. We're tired of being disappointed. And so we shut down that part of our heart that is disappointed, which also is a part of our heart that can be amazed. It's the same thing. 
the capacity you have to be amazed is directly related to the capacity you have to be disappointed. You can't have one without the other. If you're going to choose to live a life free without the risk of disappointment, then you're going to live a life without the opportunity to be amazed. And if you're going to live a life with the opportunity to be amazed, I guarantee you're going to be disappointed. And God is going to disappoint you. Mark it down. It's going to happen. The question is, what do you do when it does? Do you pack up and go home or do you stick? And that's really your decision. Again, nobody goes to hell because they're not amazed by the Lord. That's not an entry requirement. If you choose to shut down and say, you know what, I'm not going to risk disappointment. I'm willing to give up the opportunity to be amazed. You can still have a relationship with God. You can still go to heaven. You can still all of those things. It's just there's not a lot to it beyond that. You're just going to kind of live and then you're going to die and you've cut off this. You're never going to get on a roller coaster. All of that stuff that comes, you're going to miss all of that because you've said, I'm not willing to risk being disappointed. We're disappointed when our expectations aren't met. So the only solution to that is to not have expectations because your expectations aren't always going to be right. So at some point, that's going to happen. And you have to decide, well, how am I going to respond? I was thinking about this the other day. Nobody can really know fully, 100%, what someone else can do. I don't care how well you know somebody. You can't guarantee with 100% certainty what they're going to do in the future. You can't even guarantee what you're going to do. How many times have you said, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. We don't even know ourselves well enough to know with 100% certainty what we're going to do in the future. By definition, the future is unknown. We can know the present and we can know the past. We can't know the future. Nobody can. It's unknown because it hasn't happened yet. We, um, about a month ago, got with the Times and got a DVR deal with our cable. And there's four or five shows that we like to watch. One of them is The Office. And um, I don't like any emotional tension ever. Like, I can't watch... American Idol because people are going to be criticized. I can't watch stand-up comics because they're going to tell a bad joke. I can't watch like Meet the Parents, that movie, I, all of that. I can't do that. It just makes me sweat and I'm nervous for the people. And So the office has some of that. So one night my wife DVR'd it and I came home. It's all future to me. I haven't seen it. She's already seen it. And so she can give me a heads up. You're not going to like this part. And so I get up and go get a snack and look around the corner and she tells me to come back when it's over. <laughs> she knows the future from my perspective. She knows stuff about and She knows it with certainty because she's been there. She's been to my future. I'm watching this for the first time. She's watching it for the second. It's, not, it's future to me. It's not to her. So then the only thing is, do I trust her to tell me the truth or is she setting me up for something? That's a different issue. But that's the only way any of us can know the future is if we've talked to someone who's already been there. God's the only one who's ever been there. He knows the end from the beginning. Nobody else does. And then it just gets down to do you trust him to tell you what happens? And when it doesn't work out the way you think it should or thought it would, are you okay with that? At least can you move on without shutting down? He's it. He's the only one that knows the future because he's the only one who's been there. The rest of us, it's, we don't know. We can guess. But we can't know. He can know. If you want to see that, read Isaiah. It, it was written at least 600 years before Jesus was born. And then read 
the Gospels, and you can see these things. Jesus, God does a great job of predicting the future. He's right. He's right every time. So for us, what it comes down to, if you're going to shut down this part of you that can be amazed because you don't want to be disappointed, you've cut yourself off from the only one who really, the thing you're shielding yourself from, he's the only one that has the answer to that anyway because he's the only one who's been there. You're hurting yourself is really all you're doing. He can tell you when the scary, when the, for me, when the emotionally tense parts are coming. He can tell you when whatever it is that you fear or are worried about is coming and it just gets down to whether or not you trust him to do that. The, to me, the solution if, when we're afraid is to choose faith. I'm just going to choose to believe. I'm going to choose to trust what God says instead of giving in to my fear about what might happen. And you might say, you don't know how many times I've been to the well, and I don't. I don't know how many times it's come up dry for you, and I don't know how painful that is, but I do know God. And to me, he's trustworthy. It's worth it to me to risk disappointment for the sake of being amazed, because that's what Jesus, he's an amazing God. And if I've so boxed him in, or so distanced myself from him that he can't amaze me anymore, I'm not sure what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing at that point. If people who hated him were amazed by him, the guy who's about to give him a death sentence is amazed by him. People who didn't even know him were amazed by him. And I'm not. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm missing something huge. I've, I'm... He's amazing, and if I'm not amazed, then I don't know what I've done. So to me, it's worth the risk. And you have to decide for you if it's worth the risk. Are you willing to risk being disappointed for the sake of the opportunity of being amazed? Let's pray. Andrew, you guys can come back up. We're going to close with a worship song, and as we do, we'll have some ministry teams up front. If you want prayer about uh, anything, we'd love to pray with you. And I was thinking about this this morning. Uh, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 talk about, uh, it says, and don't sin in your anger. Don't let the sun go down uh, while you're angry, and don't give the devil the foothold. So there's this, excuse me, this picture of our anger if we hold on to it too long, gives the devil an opportunity to come into our life and wreak havoc. And I was thinking about some people who maybe have been disappointed so much that their disappointment has actually shifted and has become anger. And it's really it's anger towards the Lord for something either he has done or hasn't done. And it's not necessarily a white, hot, kind of teary, passionate anger. It's more of a cold anger is... It's not passionate, it's, it's just cold and kind of detached. And I would say if that's you, then you've given the devil a foothold and it's kind of like your house. If somebody breaks in through the window, they still have access to your whole house. They're not just going to stay in the room that they came in and the same's true of the devil. Once he's in, he's in. And he's going he's to go through all your stuff and he's going to affect every room 
in your house. And if that's you, if you've allowed disappointment to become anger, it's an easy fix. All you do is acknowledge it, you repent, and you ask God to forgive you. Plain and simple. And he will. And there might be others who you're just dis- you haven't gone to that place yet, but you're still you're disappointed and you've shut down on some level. Maybe just in one area of your life you've shut down and I would say you really want to look at that. You really want to look at, at kind of the trade that you're making there. And if you want to re-up, that's easy to acknowledge to the Lord what you've done, repent and ask him to forgive you. And I would say be honest about your disappointment. He already knows, so you might as well tell him. As much as you can, however much you can open that door, if it's just a crack, I would encourage you to do it. He'll take what you'll give him at this point on that. And if you're still nervous about it, that's okay too. He'll walk you through it. God, we do want to be people who are amazed by you because you're amazing. So if we're not amazed, it has a lot more to do with us than it does with you. And God, my prayer for us as a people is that we corporately would be amazed by you. And really for our community, God, I I don't think Marietta is amazed by you, Jesus. And that's not good. And Lord, I pray over the course of the next few weeks and months that that would change. That you would do a work in our community that would cause people who don't know you, maybe people who hate you, to be amazed by you. That's your wake, Jesus. Everywhere you went, you provoked amazement. And God, we pray that you would do it in our hearts, we pray you do it in our church. We pray you do it in our businesses, in our homes, in our schools. God, we pray you would do it in our community. In 2009, God, we pray that you would provoke amazement among us. That you would give us eyes to see what you're doing. That we would push into you enough to know the depth of who you are. And God, that we would risk disappointment the opportunity of being amazed by an amazing God. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand. We'll worship a bit.